Welcome to On The Move, I'm UA's podcast series. On The Move features interviews with folks in the Inland Marine Insurance community sharing their insights and experience. We touch on a range of topics including career development, technical issues, and the all-important work-life balancing act. Welcome to On The Move. I'm the host of today's episode, Ali Monreale, and today I am joined by Nick Lamparelli. Nick has 20 plus years of experience in the insurance industry and has a unique vantage point on insurance and all of its nuances. From selling home and auto insurance to helping companies with commercial insurance to underwriting with an excess and surplus lines wholesaler to catastrophe modeling, Nick has a wide and varied insurance experience. Over the past 10 years, Nick has focused on the insurance analytics of natural catastrophes and big data. He is the co-founder of Rethought Insurance Corporation, where he is the chief underwriting officer. Nick has a broad range of talents, experience, knowledge, and passion for education and insurance. One way he expresses his passion is through blogging and podcasting, most recently as a freelancer at Coverager, and before that at Insurance Nerds. IMUA is fortunate to have had Nick as a presenter on numerous webinars, workshops, and seminars, always to incredible feedback. And today, I am pleased to have him as a guest on our podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Nick. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I can't believe it's taking us this long to get this scheduled, but this is going to be awesome. It's a great way to end a Friday. I know. I think it's been on our list for about seven or eight months now since the start <laughs> yeah. of the podcast. That, that darn pandemic. I know. <laughs> well, talking about the pandemic, that brings us to our first question. Due to COVID-19, many people have had to shift to a remote work environment for the first time. The insurance industry is very people-oriented and traditionally includes lots of face-to-face business. Do you have any tips for making and keeping strong relationships in a remote work environment? Man, that's like the million-dollar question, right? I think a lot of folks are struggling with just that. So I have some suggestions. I don't know if they're going to be mind-blowing at all. There is that technology called Zoom. I think (laughs) probably everyone that's listening to this probably has access to Zoom or Microsoft Teams or, you know, whatever. And so several things. You can just schedule a meeting with someone the way you normally would, except instead of meeting them in person, you can meet them on Zoom. When the pandemic first started to really rear its head, we'd have drinks, cocktail hour or whatever, with Zoom and a group of us would get on. And one, I found that very relaxing because I could pop in and out. I could turn off my video and grab something to eat or whatever, and then come back on. But in all of those alley, I was always meeting someone that someone else brought in. So it was actually Mm -hmm. like fun for networking. I actually got to meet people. That's what we, we sort of use conferences and stuff for. And this was happening every Friday. So it's going to take work for those folks that are in this particular industry where we do want to meet people, especially business-wise. I don't think you can fake it. I think there's going to be more work up front and you have to just be willing to put the effort in. Kind of go old school, birthdays, anniversaries. Look for a reason why you can reach out to someone, even if that's text-based like email or whatever, but then try to transition over to a Zoom. And now in many states, as we begin to kind of come out, you can meet with folks. I did have lunch with someone. We ate on the hood of a car, (laughs) you know? Um, So they were on one side, I was on the other. We kind of banged elbows when we left. So 
it's different, but I think it just takes more imagination and more creativity and more foresight in front of it. Look for opportunities to engage. I guess that's my suggestion. It's probably not much, and I think we are in a difficult time, but I think hopefully we're on our way out of it. Sometimes the simple solutions are the best. And with meeting on the hood of your cars, maybe the unique experiences will give you an even better connection than you would have had. Exactly. I think you'll always remember that. Yeah, it'll be a unique experience, very different than just having a traditional lunch at a table. Hard to forget the hood of the car lunch. So I agree (laughs) with you. Yeah. Many people have been looking at working from home as a hurdle, seeing things from the opposite perspective, which I think we're kind of already getting into. Can you think of ways in which working remotely or using technology to stay connected could be seen as an advantage when compared to traditional methods? Do you predict that any of these new methods will continue to be used long after social distancing? Uh, Definitely. Yeah, I think for one thing, even as we open up, I think the world has changed. Working from home is going to be more common. I I think a lot of companies have found out that it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. I would even suggest the opposite, Allie. I would say that it's actually the dangerous part of allowing employees to work from home is not that they can get away with stuff, is that they're going to work too much the opposite. It's the it's counterintuitive. But that has been my experience. I actually, for employees that work at Rethought, I have to remind them, we have to remind them to hydrate. We have to remind them to stand up. We have to remind them to get away from their desk, to go out, to truly shut off. I see folks working much later now than they did when there was an office. So I think the tools are going to be here to stay, but it just it's more enriching. It can be more enriching. Now you have more options to connect. And I'll take sales, for instance. What this has done is that you're going to see if if more folks are working from home, I think there's going to be more opportunities that you can't connect with them. I think one of the problems with working from home is that because people are going to be working so much, they're going to be bored. Frankly, you know, they're going to be doing their jobs, but there's, I think they're going to look for opportunities to disengage from their work because they'll, mm. they'll have too much aggregate time in their work that they'll look for opportunities to bounce out. And so what I said in the prior answer, not just the Zoom and the text, but I think this opens up the opportunity where you can get closer, develop a deeper connection with folks in your Rolodex learn their birthdays and how many kids they have, what their names are. That's stuff we, you know, we used to do. I think we went through a period where we didn't really do that. And now I think it opens up an opportunity where we can have a deeper, more meaningful connection if we do it right. But I think it's going to take emotional work to be able to do that. Absolutely. And it almost levels the playing field. Like we're all coming from the same place. We all have a common experience that's new to us that we're all going through. So it's just effort. Yeah. So if you put the effort in to engage, I think you will get something fairly meaningful out of it on the other side. Now, with what you were talking about with work-life balance, I know it's been hard for a lot of people because for the first time, their bedroom or their living room is also their office space. Do you have any suggestions as a father, husband, business owner that you can give listeners on how to successfully keep this balance? My recommendation, I actually talked about it this morning on a different production, was priorities, for one. I think it's going to be really easy in a work-from-home environment to forget to do those other things. And I think it is incumbent upon 
everyone that's listening to make sure that they devote time to themselves to break away from the technology, schedule time to stand up. I have both a sit down desk and a stand up desk. I purposely did it that way. You know what I've been seeing a lot more, Allie? I thought I was maybe the only one that was doing this, but just the other day, someone brought it up as well, and they have heard of others doing that. Because there are so many conference calls, I try to take as many calls outside as I can. So I'll go for a walk while I'm taking the call, especially if I'm not on stage. If I only mm-hmm. have to sort of add in or listen in, I try to do as much of that outside walking as I can. And that has made a big difference in my life because I was already an introvert. So going through a pandemic wasn't that much of a dramatic change for me. I liked being alone, but it was too much, right? Like I didn't have mm-hmm. any sports to go to. I couldn't go to the gym. I didn't have those small things. So I'm trying to now implement some of that stuff. So if you look around at my desk, I have uh, exercise equipment around me. So when I have a few minutes, I will exercise. I have, uh, maybe you can hear this, my little, my little squeaky toy, my hand squeezer um, is right next to me. And, and I will go outside to take calls. So it, it depends on the call. If it's a video call, obviously I can't do that. If it's a call where I'll need to like really be sharp to deliver a sales pitch, I obviously can't do that. But if it's, and obviously like, I don't know if you can hear it, but right now there's a huge thunderstorm outside. I wouldn't be able to do the walk during that, but anything else, I will take the walk outside. So any sort of weekly catch up meetings with the team, production meetings where I don't have to take notes, I will take it outside and just try to get my steps in. That's really smart. I always try to do a walk every day, but it gets hard when you're working until like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. And then you don't get the sunshine. So you're still getting a walk, but you don't get any vitamin D or anything. I think it's smart to try to combine the two. I haven't heard of a lot of people combining the two. I've been working from home for three years. So I started doing that a couple years ago when I was living in New England and the weather got warmer. I would walk around my backyard doing calls and I just expanded it here. Now I need it more so because I don't have any sports or any gym to go to. That's my only source of exercise during the day. So you're a vet at work from home. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. When I saw like training classes for Zoom and Uh I kind of giggled because I was like, wow, that's funny. Like everyone's just sort of discovering this. I've been using Zoom for three years. I've been using Slack for three years. Our team is very adept at communicating in that fashion. And and that could be some advice I could give to someone else is the younger folks are very adept at this. I even heard of a team that for an hour every day, everyone logged into Zoom, even Mm -hmm. even if there was nothing to talk about, just to give the feeling or appearance that you're in an office where you know you could just work you didn't have to do anything all you had to do is log in but someone could just say hey nick i need something and you're there it's like a walkie talkie you're listening to them like if you were in an office and you stood up and you said hey nick what was the name of that report in office the tpm report can you send that over you could do that for zoom and so i would recommend that try to get the water cooler effect the office effect you can do that with zoom You can have people logged into Zoom all day long and they can work and all they have to do is just raise their voice. There might be someone on the other end that's actually listening unless they're going to the bathroom. (laughs) That's so interesting. It's a unique way to bring normalcy to everything. 
And even just the fact you'd have to get out of your pajamas every day to go into the Zoom call. You have to get on at 9 a.m., be there, be attentive. Yeah. One job that I had probably 10 years ago, my first work from home job when I started, I noticed right away I would wake up and immediately go to my computer, 7 a.m. So I was 7 to 7. And that's when I first know. Luckily, that was a short term thing before I went back into the office. But I noticed right away, just like this work from home is not what everyone thinks it is. It's it, it can be really dangerous to the employee's psyche and to their physical, mental, and emotional well being. And even I just find working from home trying to prove that you're doing the work. Yeah. Like I feel like you have to compensate extra because people don't see you doing it. You have to almost produce more than you usually do. Yeah. So, you know, we're as a society and as a culture, we're already used to uh, a particular type of theatrics to Mm -hmm. allow your superiors know that you're productive. And that has to change. Now it's a different kind of theatrics uh, that we have to do. But you know what I hope happens from this, uh, especially folks that might be listening to this to have some sort of management status is that I think this could be healthier because like I said, I'm using the word theatrics, but I think in most of our work in insurance, it's a lot of it is project oriented. Like as long as you get the project done, you're doing your job. We as managers want to see you clocked in. We want to see you active and typing away at the keyboard. But in fact, a lot of that's just wasted theatrical activity. What is the work that needs to be done and just allow people to do it, even if they decide they want to take a couple of hours during the day off to hang out with their family and they'll finish the project at midnight as long as the work gets done. I would encourage that more project oriented work versus time. Switching gears a little bit to a different type of technology, as tech and automation are rapidly growing, what do you believe we should be doing to ensure continued success as industry professionals? Yeah, there's only there's only one way, Allie. Roll up your sleeves, honestly. <laughs> um, it, I am befuddled by the number of people who allow technology to kind of go over their head and then they're playing catch up. And they think, well, if I just take a class or if I just read a book... I just think you have no choice but to roll up your sleeves. You can't learn how to play golf reading a book. You can't learn how to use a particular set of technologies unless you roll up your sleeves and just go through the pain that has to go through of that learning curve. And it, you know, in a lot of cases, it could be painful, but my recommendation is you, you can't shortcut it. Roll up your sleeves and just do the work. And in lots of ways, that should be comforting because I know so many people are overwhelmed by how quickly things are advancing. But to know that if you put in the work, it, you're going to be able to keep up with everything. Yeah. I, I, it's I not an impossible of, situation. It, and it's so easy to get overwhelmed, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. uh, I think technologists could move faster, but there's a, I think there's a natural governor on the whole process in that we can only absorb so much. So there, it, technology can only get so far ahead of us. It's, I think it's fairly easy for us to catch up. And I think if you just even put a little bit of effort, you'll be ahead of your peers when it comes to that. I don't necessarily mean you have to learn a programming language. I just think it just takes effort to just keep up to date with what's, what's the cutting edge stuff, not necessarily having to get into the weeds of learning how to program or anything like that. But that's not such a bad thing either. Absolutely. 
As an avid podcaster and blogger on the insurance industry, you've interviewed a wide array of insurance professionals, and you've even interviewed our very own Kevin O'Brien, IMUA's president and CEO. Mm -hmm. Can you share any takeaways from your blogs or podcast interviews that may resonate with the inland marine industry? What resonates altogether is just the dramatic change that we're all undergoing. Everyone said it was going to happen, and it finally started to happen. I think the pandemic has greatly sped up that process. I would say with Inland Marine, Inland Marine has not been punched in the mouth yet the way other industries have. So auto is seeing this. So it's a lot of technological competition in auto. There's a lot of technological competition in uh, traditional property, specifically the personal line space. It's starting to crawl up into small business. Inland Marine hasn't had to face that yet. It's coming. It's, uh, oh, it's absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely coming. Over a year ago, I interviewed Brightco. They do jewelry. So they have a whole tech platform that they've built that deals with making sure that your jewelry is valued correctly, one. And secondly, they have the uh, insurance capacity behind it as well. So they've figured out a way to carve out the jewelry floater from a homeowner's policy and do a better job with less work for the jewelry owner. So it's just a matter of time before the tech starts to hit Inland Marine. And I feel like I'm a part of that. You know, I, I think about builder's risk and I think about fine arts. My co-founder is uh, avid in the fine arts space, a little bit as a collector, but thinking about how technology impacts fine arts. And so we've had interviews with folks that do collecting and other things around fine arts. And it's a very spreadsheet oriented type of a structure. It's going to be very easy. Once technology really comes in, it's going to be re really easy to provide a lot of value for folks in Inland Marine, you know, the customers on the other side. And so for folks that are listening to this, that, you know, your prior question about how they keep up, they better keep up because when the technology comes, as you've seen in these other industries, the other, these other lines, it's going to come rapidly. And companies that are very comfortable right now with what their, um, you know, their state is in Inland Marine, they could be disrupted. You could see a lot of commotion happen. It's probably going to take a little while. You, you might have another year or two, but when it comes, you're not going to be able to put that toothpaste back in the tube. So are there any emerging trends that you find interesting or you feel deserve more attention because of this? The emerging trends that I think will immediately hit Inland Marine are going to be a lot of the high quality visual stuff, imagery, both the AI and machine learning. So you have external imagery, which is already hitting the traditional property market. It's going to be, it's going to hit Inland Marine quickly. So satellite imagery, drone imagery, other aerial imagery, Google street imagery. There's already a plethora of stuff that we can determine about external Internal, there are already companies that are creating AI machine learning that can take a picture of something. And in this right now, it's used predominantly in personal lines. You'll see it in commercial lines soon. You can take a picture of something and say, that's a refrigerator, you know, <laughs> right? And if it gets to the point where it can detect the make and model of that refrigerator and it can do other things, like it's going to be phenomenal. It just between arts and cargo and other things, 
to just be able to take a video and the software is going to be able to tell you what it is, what the value of it is, how much it might weigh. It's just absolutely amazing what that's going to do and how that's going to streamline things. With Inland Marine and with Ocean Marine and cargo and stuff like that, bills of laden and the transfer of ownership, the transfer of exposure from one entity to another, that's going to be well streamlined into a digital mobile capability. And I think a lot of that will be run on blockchain technology. So it'll be much more difficult to be fraudulent, to claim a loss that didn't occur. It's just going to be, you're, we're going to be able to follow all this stuff. It'll be like, a, I always tell my tech team, my goal is I want a nuclear reactor dashboard. Yeah. I want screens on my desk that tells me everything that's happening in real time. Like where are our policies? I expect Inland Marine to be the same. You could have a situation where underwriters are going to be able to watch cargo move across the country. And what's the temperature inside the truck? That's already here. Like we can already do that, expand that out. So it, everything is digital and streamlined. It's here, it's happening. I would roll up your sleeves and get in front of that. Now your most recent endeavor, which you've already touched upon is Rethought Insurance Corporation. It's an MGA focused on NatCat climate insurance. And can you share with us the niche that you are serving and the value proposition? Yeah, so my mission in the climate and in the NatCat space is to prevent, mitigate, and transfer risk in the most economical way. And so natural catastrophes have been uh, the bane of human existence, it becomes really expensive in the aftermath of a large earthquake or hurricane or flood. I think our goal, I, you know, Ali, I find it dissatisfying that as an industry, we've spent most of our time just sort of transferring risks. So something happens to a company and we cover them and we pay them and then they're back to normal. And then two years later, another hurricane comes and we're back to doing the same thing. We have so much data and so much information now and the technology is really at a spot where I think we can do more to uh, try to prevent loss from occurring. If a loss does occur, we should be doing more to mitigate the amount of that loss and beyond that, that's what insurance is for. As a culture and society, we've sort of skipped over to, well, just reimburse them for the loss. So our focus is on climate and NatCat risks. Yes, we do sell insurance, but I, our long-term vision is to use the data that we're collecting, to use the engineering expertise that we've developed to prevent and mitigate it and figure out ways that folks can get their insurance right? You're going to get your insurance, but it's much more economical because there have been preventative and mitigative aspects that we've integrated it in, but we've also figured out as well how to improve the insurance. And that can be through multi-year contracts or going to communities and helping communities get to fortified status or other sorts of high standard risk preventative areas and try to get there. So it's a, a lot of different things from prevention, mitigation, to just improving the insurance altogether to make the whole thing much more economical. And in those sorts of situations, Ali, it's not just a win-win, right? If we do mm -hmm. our job, the property owner is going to win, we're going to win. But if we're doing it right, society wins as well. Well, it definitely sounds like you're reinventing the market and you're one of the people bringing us into the future. 
So before we end the episode, I wanted to get your predictions on the overall future of the industry. Based on your knowledge, what do you think the insurance industry will look like in 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think about that a lot. And to me, I just, I see no way around it. In five to 10 years, insurance is going to be highly linked to risk prevention and risk mitigation. So you're either going to buy risk mitigation and risk prevention services and insurance will accompany that. So think of you buy a Tesla and Tesla will sell you the auto insurance. That's happening today. So expand that to other areas or the opposite. You buy insurance and you get risk prevention and risk mitigation. So you buy insurance and the insurance company is a partner with you to make sure your roof can withstand a category five hurricane. Make sure your windows are glass resistant. Make sure you have fire retardant in the right spots that you prevent wildfires from occurring or, or other things. To me, Ali, if we're not there in 10 years, something went wrong. That's definitely a lot to take in. Thanks once again for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with us, Nick. I know that I've definitely learned a lot sitting with you for these past 20 or so minutes, and we are extremely lucky, as always, to have you on our team. Thanks, Allie. <laughs> I love doing this. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the IMUA, so let's not allow another eight months to go by. Thanks for tuning in to On The Move, a podcast series presented by the Inland Marine Underwriters Association. To access additional podcasts, professional development opportunities, and our technical library, visit us at www.imua.org.